children came, no one could stay away. Welcome to a special Monday musical osmosis where intelligent dissonant thought meets melodic euphonious reality. I am your musically magnanimous host, Nick the Saucy One Cat Saurus, broadcasting as always from the shadow of Hurricane Mountain, Tennessee. And today I want to introduce my special co-host musician, composer, a girl we had on the show a couple months ago, and I took an immediate liking to the totally rad Hannah Rose Dexter. Hi, Hannah. Hello. Hello, musical osmosisers. It's a pleasure to be here today. Absolutely. I want to thank you so much for co-hosting with me today. Odell is at work, so I didn't want to do this solo, so this is really cool. It is cool. I think it's cool. And then we've got Dee, as always, lurking in the shadows of the shadow of Hurricane Mountain. Dee, how you doing today? Getting (laughs) off work early, rushing home, putting this show together while also working your day job. Yes. All of this, such a multitasker. Yes, I'm right in the middle of a text to my coworker. I'm like, hey, remember to do this thing that I just did. (laughs) So, yes, it's a good day, even though it's rainy. Um, It's all good. It's all good. I am veggie powered today. I'm good. Well, before you recede back into the darkness, um, do you want to tell everybody where they can find this show online? Absolutely. You can always type, go to your address bar, super easy, type in www.tincan.media and push enter. That's it. That's it. That's so all. tincanmedia.com, right? Oh, God, no. Tincan.media. You can also find us on CastBox, which if you have the CastBox.fm app, then that works too. Or if you are an Appler, you can hunt around on iTunes and we are in the podcast section with not only Musical Osmosis, but Kettle of Fish is there as well. Super groovy. Thank you, Dee. All righty. So let's give some context here, Hannah. Um, I had put up an announcement on our music page that we were having Alice Bag on Today, this was a couple weeks ago, you went on a common thread and talked about how much you loved Alice Bag. what a great fan you were. One thing led to another. I had reached out to you and asked you to co-host 
So before we get Allison here, let me ask you as a musician and as a woman, but most importantly, as a human being, which I think we should all kind of start quantifying and seeing each other in human terms first (laughs) before anything else. Like I told you the other day on the phone, but as a musician, how important has Alice Bag been to you? How has she impacted you as a musician? Well, um, I didn't really grow up hearing much music like her stuff. And I have to say that uh, some of the first things that stood out to me about her music was just like the sheer power of it. Um, you know, her, her voice is just like reaching up from deep inside her and just like really spitting out these lyrics that don't hide anything. I love that it's all just, present and right in front and there's no fear in it in the content of it and like she doesn't she doesn't seem to care what anybody has to think about her she's just going to tell you exactly what she's thinking and i think yes that's beautiful you know i i play bass and often that is in a professional context i'm usually supporting other people's music and just like we just need you to lay a foundation here and that's fine that's the job i signed up for but it just is so refreshing to see any human being and especially a woman, a Chicana that's often in a role of being shushed to just say, no, fuck no, I'm going to be as loud as I possibly can. Like that just means the world to me. Yeah. And I think punk is an honor to be here today a little bit. I mean, most of the stuff, and I don't know if this comes with, I'm pushing 50 now. So I don't know if this is just like, (laughs) I don't want to listen to that younger music. But there's not a whole lot, and I and I do check out a lot of new bands because we have them on the show. Yeah. But there's not a whole lot of people I don't feel have the fire that those early mm-hmm. punk bands have. But I'm of that world, from that world, so maybe I'm a little biased. Yeah, I think I think uh, a lot of folks, a lot of musicians that I'm working with that are my age right now, often think about like how can I how can I mask the true meaning of this in some poetry and make it you know so that anyone might just be able to find something to enjoy about it. But all the Alice bag lyrics, especially on blueprint, it's just like, here are the facts. If you don't want to oh, hear it, yeah. like, get out of here. Some blueprint. That is an amazing album. And I remember when mm-hmm. like bands like Oasis came out, it was like shampoo, champagne, supernova. I was like, what the hell are these guys talking about? Yeah. And I just love what I call lunch pail lyrics. Like, just carry in a lunch pail, straightforward lyrics. <laughs> My favorite band is The Piss. And Al mm-hmm. Piss is one of the greatest lyricists ever because he says things in such a straightforward way that it just mm-hmm. it trims out all the bullshit and you can get right to the point. And that's something I love about Al Piss and it's something I love about Alice. Maybe it's people that start with the letters A-L have that gift. It Who must knows? be. It must be that. I think I've, I've tapped into a Da Vinci code here, huh? Yeah, Al Pacino is known for his straightforwardness. That's a good point. Oh, man, maybe I should do a whole episode of this one day. All right, let's get Allison here. I don't want to keep her waiting anymore. Today's guest is an activist, writer, teacher, punk legend, who at almost 60 years old is more fierce than most 20-year-olds I know. The energetic and outspoken Alice Bag. Hi, Alice. Hi. Oh, my God. Such a nice introduction. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you for everything you've done for the scene over the years. One compliment doesn't cover it. Trust me. Well, thank you. It's such it's such a treat to be here with you, Nick and Hannah. I I um I think you're right, Hannah. I think I'm so glad that you picked up on the the fact that I really don't care what people think. It's like I've got something to say, and I'm gonna say it. And 
you know, if you connect with it, great. And if you don't, oh, well, <laughs> there's plenty of other stuff that you can listen to. Well, let's start um, with this. I want to set the Wayback Machine here to 2005. The first time you ever came on my radar was a little documentary called Punk Attitude. And then from there, I started checking out the bags. And I've consistently been listening to your music ever since. I love documentaries, but as someone who's been in a couple documentaries about the punk scene, the early punk scene in particular, Punk Attitude, Decline of the Western Civilization, there was also another movie called American Hardcore. These documentaries, do you feel like they're good historical representations of that era, or do you feel like they're missing something? You know, I, okay, let me start with the Decline of Western Civilization, because that's probably impacted me the most. Um, being in the decline of Western civilization like, has opened a lot of doors for me because I don't know that people would necessarily even remember me if it wasn't for the, the documentary. And uh, however, I also think that, that it's not, um, that sometimes people think, oh, this is what the early LA scene was like. And in fact, that particular documentary is chronicling a time when hardcore was uh, just starting to take off in Los Angeles and the original LA punk scene was kind of in decline. So, uh, so there are a lot of bands that aren't represented that would probably be, you know, they would they would paint a different picture of what the scene was like. So I feel mm. like it's not if you're looking for um, a historical visual representation of the early LA punk scene, I don't feel it's there in the decline. However, if you just if it's an introduction to punk as it's starting to uh, go towards hardcore, then yes, you get that. So I think the thing is to, that you have to accept what it is rather than judge it for what it's not, which is a mistake that I make. You know, I tried it. I, I really wanted it to be something other than what it was. And so for a long time, I couldn't even, like, I was ashamed of being in it. Wow, um, really? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I went to the premiere and i walked out halfway through the film wow that's intense so when you walk out what's the reaction from friends are they like hey what was going on with you like how did you kind of explain that to the people in the scene at the time i think there were other people in the scene who felt like i felt so i think there was like a a lot of people in the early la punk scene who felt like this doesn't really represent us but you know, there were also a lot of people and, and the majority of people who really felt like this is great film and, you know, there's a lot of cool things about it that we like. And it did go on to introduce a lot of people to punk rock all over the United States in places that maybe didn't have their own scenes during, you know, the early 80s. So yeah. a lot of people that I meet find that, like, you know, they, they tell me, like, this was my first exposure to punk. And then from there, you know, I researched other bands. I made, you know, I got, I bought records. I read other magazines. And then it's sort of like punk archaeology where people go back and then they learn about some of the other bands that were around. So it, there is definitely value in it. It shows what was happening at a certain point in time. And then for those who are truly interested, they can become, um, they can be, you know, what is it called? Like a autodidacts, you know, you can go back and find out what you're interested in researching more about and, um, and know more about what the That's early scene was like. 
Yeah. I mean, it opened the door, that Punk Attitude movie, as soon as I watched you in that and watched the interviews, it immediately made me go, oh, I got to check her out. What is she in? What does she do? Because I'm always looking for new and interesting things. So, and I know one thing that you have said in a lot of interviews, too, about that scene is that you, your opinion is it was more inclusive back then. And then the kind of hardcore movement came in. And then all of a sudden, everything kind of got machoed out. I mean, not totally across the board, but everything got kind of machoed out. Do you feel like with the Me Too movement and everything going on today that it's becoming more inclusive again? Do you think that's having any residence on the punk culture? The Me Too movement? I feel like the Me Too movement is much bigger than that. It's much more widespread. I feel like women from all backgrounds can relate to that. Absolutely. Um, but do you feel but, like uh, that's affecting the punk scene now where they're becoming more inclusive again because of it? You know, I, I feel like there are multiple punk scenes. I When I speak or play shows, I always try to make sure that I'm, that I'm reaching the audience that I want to reach. So I usually ask to play with bands that have women or queers or people of color. I, I ask to play in places that are inclusive. And so... Um, so maybe there's another punk scene out there that's like not, you know, not reflecting my values, but I just choose not to, not to, um, not to play those places. So, but I do know that there are people that that have like punk scenes that are very, um, like that instead of rebelling against the status quo, they support it. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. Ms. Bag, I was at your show at the Levitt Pavilion just like a month ago, and uh, oh, cool! Yeah, a a it was oh my goodness, my pleasure. It was fantastic to see you know an act that's so culturally significant in a public place that you know is full of such a diverse crowd. I do have to say, I was kind of shocked that the crowd was so hardcore. I was sitting near the back on the hill and thought like, wow, a lot of these people seem like really aggressive. And I remember right when the show started, there was that heckler who just wouldn't shut up. It seemed like yeah. security had to take him away. Was that what happened? I, I, I think that's what happens when you play at a park. And that particular part is, um, I don't know. Are you from Los Angeles? Do you know? Yeah, I, I live, I live in East Hollywood. Yeah. So I'm pretty, yeah, that's so like the neighborhood park. park. Yeah. So it's a pretty, it, it can be a really hardcore place where like, you know, sure. people who are homeless, people who are, who have substance abuse issues can be, I think the, the, the person was um, intoxicated and just, ah. you know, I, I, but I don't think they necessarily were, um, I, I don't necessarily feel like they were attacking me or I wasn't really, how should I say, I wasn't really that upset with him I just felt like I wanted to be able to do the show without yeah um having a, a sidekick you know uh-huh. like, yeah so uh, totally reasonable so telling me yeah telling me like play this don't play that don't play the old song play only the old songs right I think yeah he yelled at me don't do the new old stuff do the old stuff <laughs> and yeah um, it seems Go ahead. No, but I I think he did. I think he tried to climb on the stage and that's when security took him out. But then I saw him later on on the other side mm-hmm. of the stage. So he, they took him off and then he came back and he was just, he was, he, he blended in with the crowd and was dancing and watching the show. So I don't think he was that. That's um, good. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't as big a, a, 
a deal as it could have been. He wasn't there just to antagonize you. No, he wasn't was there it? to antagonize me. But, mm-hmm. you know, but that's the, the thing is that it is a free event, so you can't, you don't have any control over, like, who's there or, um, or why they're there. So some of the, some sure. of the, my, my, my audience typically does dance and does get, you know, they engage in the, in the music. But, but yeah, I'm sure that, you know, the woman who puts on, I don't remember her name, Mrs. Levitt. <laughs> Mrs. Levitt Pavilion was there and came up and said hello and she's like I don't usually come to these things but I was uh, excited to come to your concert That's and so I sweet. think she must have she said she'd never been to a punk show so I think she must have oh wow brilliant it must have been a little bit it might have been a little bit scary for her well, sure. but, um, but I also think she enjoyed it I mean there's like you know a safe grassy area that you can go stand in yeah. and watch the show if you don't want to be in the middle of all the chaos. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I was for the evening. <laughs> so in in moments like this, maybe maybe the Levitt Pavilion isn't a great example, but I'm sure you must get like heckled or harassed from the crowd or from, you know, like sound people or anybody in the business. And I'm wondering when you're in the middle of a performance, how do you balance yourself? How do you come back from it and not let it bother you? Because in that specific instance at the Levitt Pavilion, it was clear this guy was annoying a lot of people around him and you just made like one simple comment, you know, and, and it wasn't even aggressive. Of course, right now I can't remember, but it completely deflected the situation and you moved on. Like, where is that? How do you come back from tense moments like this and still put on a good I, show? I'm a former teacher. So I am experienced with like having switch gears and like then getting mm-hmm. back to what I want to do. Um, so I feel like, yes, I did kind of handle it a little bit like a teacher. I did say, you know, <laughs> I know you have something to say. I'm going to get back to you. Um, and then I also, uh, I also, some, there was a guy that was kept yelling and I said, and he was actually like really like East LA in the house and talking yeah. about like how, ch- how Chicano he was. And I was about to perform White Justice. And I said, this song is about the Chicano moratorium. Do you know what that is? And, I, and he's like, no. And I thought, like, okay, <laughs> li- then it's time to listen. You know, you're very proud of being a Chicano, but you also have, you know, you have to, you have to listen and know a little bit about your history. It's not enough to just, you know. Wow, that's like a verbal out. rap on the knuckles with a ruler. <laughs> It was, it was, yeah, he, he looked a little sheepish after it. I, I am, like, I'm that kind of teacher, right? Okay, what's this? You're not paying attention, I'm going to ask you the question. I can <laughs> imagine you could shut things down with just a glare. Some teachers had that power. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. Did. I, I did have that, but I tried not to be, I, I was strict, but I wasn't, I love kids, and I love teaching, so I wasn't the just mean for mean sake. I was mean I'd in never... order to be able to achieve what I needed to do. Or I was strict because I had goals for my students and I wanted I wanted to engage them. I didn't want to get sidetracked with um, discipline problems. Very That's cool. beautiful. We actually beautiful. had um, Coach on yesterday, Coach Moore D, and he was saying like the same thing about how he kind of runs his classroom, right? Yep. Very much. It's just one of those things. You have to command a certain amount of respect and give that respect back. And let the students know you care. Some educators get it, some don't. Hey, I want to pivot back real quick to White Justice because I saw this live video from the Women's March last year of you performing White Justice. And one thing that was going through my head 
is when you're playing a show like that, something very important where a statement is being made, does it, does it feel more impactful for you when you're doing it? Or is the message always there? So if you're doing that or if you're just playing in a random club, is it the same feeling to you? Well, this particular performance took place outside of a detention center in Los Angeles. So we were literally playing within earshot of prisoners. Yeah, I bet um, the guards love that song. (laughs) Well, there there were police behind us too, which I, um, if you watch the video, I actually turn around and I sing to them, to the police as well. (laughs) Uh, But but you can hear the, um, we could hear the inmates clicking. What they do is I guess they click either um, uh, coins or some kind of metal against the glass. So they knew that, so they wanted to communicate to us that they were listening. So during the song, we heard all this clicking on the windows and like, oh, they hear us. It was just so exciting to know, like, we are connecting with a bigger audience. We're connecting with the people that we're trying to stand up for. So, um, so yeah, that was a really that was a really powerful moment for me as a performer, but it, it is always powerful. It's just at this time, it was powerful in a different way. Very, very yeah. cool. All right. Hey, let me pivot real quick to something else because I ordered your book pipe bomb for the soul and we were on the uh-huh. road when I ordered it. So I didn't get a chance to even dig into it till I got back last week. And I am a notoriously slow reader. I'm the guy with the highlighter. (laughs) And if I run across a word I don't know, I'll have to Google the definition. I don't just gloss over it. And I'm reading it. I'm totally enthralled. And I actually knocked this book out in two sittings, which is a record for me. Because it was just so personable. It just just grabbed me just reading through like, oh, my God, what's going to happen, you know, on April 7th? I've got to get to the next page. And... (laughs) As I'm reading this, I'm thinking, I'm reading this with new eyes, right? This is a new experience for me to read. However, this was actually a journal from back in 1986 of your time working in Nicaragua. I know when you had to go back, what, 35 years later, whatever it was, and put this together to release as a book. What was it like rereading those journals? Did it seem, was it the way that you remembered it? Was younger you phrasing things in a way where you're like, wow, I remember that, or doesn't the memory not serve? No, no, I, I, the memories, the actual events were there, but it's always like, for me, it's, I don't know, I am very critical of myself. So sometimes I go back and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I said this, or I was thinking this, or how could I be so dumb? You know, like I really saw my, like, I don't know, my privilege, my like, um, just, how naive I was, how young I was, how idealistic, and um, just, you know, it's reading something that you wrote when you were much younger, it's probably hard for anybody, because <laughs> life experience really does come with a lot of benefits, like a benefit, uh-huh. of life, yes. you know, and, and as, as well as like, you, know, you have historical perspective that you might not have had when you were younger. Um, so, and you, you know where things now I know how things would turn out, you know? So, uh, so yes, it was, it was hard to read it. And it was also difficult for me to figure out how to release the journal as a book. I knew I wanted to release the, the journal as a book because when I wrote Violence Girl, 
a lot of people would ask me like about, I think I write like two pages about going to Nicaragua and people wanted to know more. And I'm like, oh, I can tell you more because I have my journal. But, um, but when I read it, I realized that I would talk about people like, you know, and not explain myself because I was writing just for myself. So I would say, yeah. I saw so-and-so at the market and they would do this. And then we went to that place and I didn't, you know, I didn't say what the place was or who the person was or put anything um, or give any kind of background because I was living it. You know what I mean? Yes. When I was writing the book, I wanted to add perspective, like from, you know, like the things I told you about, like what I know now. And so I tried to approach the book as uh, like for dummies right, you know, right. that, that has like little, that, that allows you a little sidebar um, and little historical perspective that you can go and look things up if you don't know anything about what was happening in um, Central America during the 80s. And I love the I know, little I, like I, where the seeds were planted because I'm somebody who always wants to know what makes people tick. So I love the little icon where like, here's where a seed was planted in my head that made me who I am today. <laughs> I think those are great reference yeah. points. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I owe it all to those for dummies books that I've read over the Uh years. (laughs) Well, my daughter is 12 and I homeschool her and your book is definitely going to be on the required reading list now. I think she can get a lot. Oh, wow. That's great. So I think that'll be good for her. So I have this bad habit of reading YouTube comments on videos of female performers that I really care about. No, never read the comments. (laughs) I know, never read the comments. They fill you with nothing but anger. Um, And I was surprised to see that on the 77 cents video, Ms. Bag, you actually respond to a couple, not, not a lot, but a couple one in one case, one of the women or some woman was trying to point out that Latinas make less and you quoted the lyrics for her. And another time you wrote pushing all the right buttons because it seems like the comments were overwhelmingly the pay gap is a myth. The pay gap is a myth. Um, do you make it a regular point to read comments on your videos and how do you digest all I, of that? I don't. Ooh, good I don't make it a regular, uh, a regular habit. In fact, I try not to read them, but probably um, for the best. But this partic- yes. But this particular video was chosen by YouTube as their video of the day. So it mm. got an abnormal amount of hits and it had all these negative comments and, yeah. you know, and, and like so many thumbs down and so many views. I'm like, wow, it's got a lot of, a lot more views than my other videos. So I was excited about that. And then I realized, oh my yeah. God, it's all negative. And I thought, I, but it, it doesn't concern me at all. I mean, I feel like if I'm saying stuff, like if I'm, if I'm writing about, um, uh, stuff that doesn't, that people already know, why bother saying it? I'm talking about something that has to be challenged, that is a, um, that people are going to disagree with. So I feel like, yeah, it's okay if I have a bunch of negative um, responses, because in there, there will also be some positive ones. And mm-hmm. really, I, I just have to say what I have to say, whether people like it or not. So I, I, mm. I actually started writing a song for the trolls. <laughs> oh, they'll love that. <laughs> but um, but I have it. I have it. I just I, I don't care what people say. I'm not I'm not in it to um to I, they don't hurt my feelings. I I don't I I don't like being dismissive of people if they have a different point of view and if they expect and they express it in 
a way that is like constructive, you know, like if they say, I feel mm-hmm. this way and I think you should consider this other point of view. I'm very happy to consider other points of view, but sure. when it's just like, you know, when people are just trying to shut you down, then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is a lot of that going on. I used to do a lot of yeah. political activism. and We had a political show and people would just come on the threads and blow stuff up. And I actually asked somebody once, I got so tired of it. I was like, is there any way I can disagree with you and not be a libtard snowflake trader? Like any way, or am I just a libtard snowflake trader? Just by default, I disagree with you. Is there? And then he was like, are you calling me a racist? And he just went crazy on me and blocked me. So it's it's so hard to penetrate. Like it's just this vortex of hate and fear when you're talking to some of these cats. It, I, I, yeah, it's not worth the time for me anymore. All right, we got to get out of here soon. I want to talk about your new album, Blueprint. I got to tell you, I love this album from the artwork to the lyrics, especially even the song arrangements, along with um the new Friendship Commanders album, Bill. I think this is the most important album. That and Friendship Commanders. These are the two most important albums of 2018 in my book. Mm, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, it's just really important. And you're going, this is your second album. I guess they call it a solo album. I don't consider it a solo it's, album. It's a solo album in that I write the songs and I arrange them and then... Um, I I actually I said I do I do all this stuff except play the instruments. I I, I write I make demos on my um, garage band gotcha. which I give to the musicians so that they know what I would like them to play. So but I also get extremely talented musicians who I've known over the years who I played some of them I played with before, some of them I've just been their fans. And they come in and they add their their touches and their um, their musical magic that they know how to make. So mm-hmm. I feel like yeah, it is collaborative in that um, that people bring their their playing, their skill, their technique. But the songs are all written by me. So so it is it is my vision. So and I'm and I'm a I am uh, definitely the head bitch in charge. You know, I'll get in there and I'll say like, this is what I want the song to sound like. Whereas you know, I've been in lots of band situations and most of the music I've created in the past has, have been situations where you collaborate, you bring an idea or you take somebody else's idea and everybody discusses what they want the song to sound like or else you just play together and the sound, the the band shapes the sound of the song. Right. So um, this was much more deliberately something that was... Um, coming from me and was I feel like like everybody was trying to help me um achieve my vision and that's a good point I mean in these daunting times and with all the topics you're tackling on this album and I just love how eclectic the album is I mean the album really doesn't just follow one kind of stream of consciousness do you feel like this is the most important album of your career because I see it as a very important album Oh, thank you. I do feel like it's, um, I mean, I feel like it's very important. I don't know if it's the most important album of my career because I'm still writing and I feel like I'm still (laughs) growing. So tell us a little bit about the song 77 because I was watching the video and I don't know if this was conscious or not, if this was your intent, but to me it was very reminiscent of that old movie, Nine to Five. Were you a fan of that movie? Is that kind of where this was coming from? 
it was totally inspired by uh, nine to five. I mean, the video was inspired by nine to five and it wasn't, it wasn't my idea. It was like, my husband was listening to the song and, um, and he, 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 to a rough de- like a rough cut of the song. And um, once, once Kathleen Hanna came in and, and Alison Wolf came in, we started pick, he, he pictured them in like the role of, um, Kathleen in the role of Jane Fonda, um, Alison Wolf, who from you know who was a singer for Bratmobile, is a big country fan. So we totally pictured her as as the Dolly Parton character, and I was the Billy Tomlin character because she's kind of the boss. Seth Bogart, who is uh, who does hunks in his punk, he was going to be our boss. And then we were about to shoot the, the video um, when the producer, who is very good friends with Shirley Nansen, he and I met the night before the shoot just to make sure that everything was in place for the following day. Uh, so we went through our little checklist and we were, we were sitting in a cafe. And just before we said goodbye, I said, why don't you ask uh, Shirley to drop by? And he looked at me and he said, you want me to ask Shirley to drop by? And I said, yeah, there's a role, you know, there's the the um gossipy the 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 gossip who the office gossip who spies on the women and like tries to negotiate herself to the boss so we were shooting and all you know we were i i wasn't really hopeful that shirley manson was just going to drop by the shoot but she did and she came in and she was all she was already dressed in her office niche outfit and um, (laughs) i felt so honored to have her there so wow it, it was a really it was a really cool experience. The the yeah, I bet. I almost feel like there should have been a video of the making of the video because it was just really. Fun. Well, it's never too late, right? There's got to be tons <laughs> of footage <laughs> sitting around. Well, okay, yeah. well, set this song up for us because we're gonna play '77. So this song is about the gender wage gap, and it was inspired uh, by listening to an interview. I was I was writing a piece about June Millington, who is um, the woman who. Um, played guitar and, and and helped to found Fanny. And I was um, researching for this piece that I was writing on her when I I uh, listened to an interview with one of the founders of Olivia Records. And she was talking about the gender pay gap and she said it was 77 cents on the dollar. And I thought 77 is such a, like, I have such great memories of 77 and just knowing that we only make 77 cents on the dollar really pissed me off. So I wanted to take the the number 77 because it was so meaningful to me and write a song about it. And I also thought people are going to think it's about punk, but it's not. Right, right. Yeah. So I, um, so that's, that's what, that's what started me thinking about it. All right, let's play some 77 and then we'll come back and finish up. Seven, 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 seven,
All righty, we are back, guys. Um, one more point I want to hit before we get you out the door, Alice. One thing that I really love about most of the projects you're involved in, I'm an Alice Cooper guy. I grew up loving that vaudevillian type of tongue-in-cheek where a show is a show, and I think a lot of people don't get that music can also be visual. And I was watching a video of your record release party, and you're out there with blue hair, because of course the album's called Blueprint. You've got blue Ikea bags on you. And I just, I wanted to give you props because I think it's really important. I, I know friends who have bands and they are brilliant. Their musical prowess is light years beyond anything I've ever done. But they just stand there. They're stapled to the floor. And I was in a band, I was like, wow, we're not very talented, so let me get a blow-up doll and throw fake money in the audience and act <laughs> like a jackass, because they'll remember that. Because, And I just think it's so important for music to have a visual component, and when I watch you perform, the energy level and the visual component in some of your projects is just brilliant to me. Well, thank you very much. I feel like I definitely could do more visually, uh, and I also appreciate performers who put on a whole show. Uh, I used to sing backup for Alves, so I feel like I learned a lot from uh, I, I learned a lot about everything he does to prepare for a show, and it's like everything from like costumes to the music that gets played in between songs to like giving us like a rough, almost like a rough skit to work from. Um, so I I I appreciate that too. I also grew up with like artists like David Bowie. Yes. Who, mm -hmm. You know, who was very visual. Elton John, also very visual. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate that. And, um, and yeah, I can see, I can go see a band that's just about the music and appreciate that too. But I, um, I get into the whole visual and audio and like community and, you well, know, you get else, it, and I think that's why you have such a legacy, because you seem like a person to me that gets it, that understands what this whole thing is about. And I think that's lacking today in a lot of bands. Let's get it back. Yes. How do we do that, Hannah? How do we get it back? <laughs> you're you're the younger uh, generation. Help us out here. Well, I mean, you say all this, but I just played my first solo show and could only stand exactly where I was, just on account of... <laughs> how I play the bass so uh but duly noted duly noted guys move around the stage throw things into the audience make a uh, make act a, like scene. a crazy person now, yes you know the thing is that we don't all have to perform the same way so you do whatever <laughs> is you you know like whatever makes you happy is what people are going to connect to when you're being yourself amen amen listen yeah. with this i ran across one of the things that this show affords me to do is to really dig into find new bands and dig into bands that i've listened to and see their other projects and i have to say um stay at home bomb amazing um <laughs> the band i love the best from you and i got a chance to check out seven or eight different bands they had the music online but castration squad and we're actually going to end this episode with castration squad there is something about oh, that band wow. that just grabs me and just like this spiritually throws me across the room. I love castration. Ah, oh, that's great. That's wonderful. <laughs> How many bands have you been in? Have you lost count? Because uh, I knew there's got to be more than the ones. Yeah. You know, and the thing is that I've been in a lot. Sometimes they've been popular, and sometimes nobody's heard of them. Um, sure. Because we would play, we play shows, and like you know, five people show up. 
So I, I, and I always want to say that because there might be a musician out there that's going through a period where they feel like, oh, nobody appreciates what I do. There are only five people in the audience. But we all go through that. We, we can, be, can be in a really popular band one year, and then the next year nobody gets to see you. And just keep pushing. Keep doing your thing. Do what feels right. And, and it'll, it'll, it'll turn out in the end. Absolutely. I mean, people have to lose. If, you, if you're performing your truth, somebody is going to connect. Somebody is going to feel your, your honesty and also connect. Like my friend Andy Dorsey used to say about my old band, them fools would play the opening of an envelope. Like we would play anything, <laughs> anywhere. It's like we're there on a drop of a hat. All right, we got to get out of here. Alice, I cannot thank you so much for spending 45 minutes with us. Um, do me a favor and tell everybody where we can find you online and what you have coming up. You can find me on Instagram at Alice underscore bag. You can find, I have my own website, alicebag.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter. Folsom Street Fair next Sunday in San Francisco. Nice. Very nice. Alrighty. Yeah. Hannah. And thanks thanks to Alice, uh, Los Angeles will be getting a Dolores Suerta, Dolores Suerta Street. Really? I know. I hope so. Uh, yes. Recently at California State University, Los Angeles, where Ms. Bag graduated from, they had an event honoring Dolores Huerta in 50 years of the Chicana Chicano studies that uh, Alice Bag performed at with the Victoria Trio. And um, council member Jose Huizar heard a song she wrote uh, honoring Dolores Huerta and saying there should be a street named after her. And he promised that there would be. So sure. if you trust council yeah. members, it's very good news. Yes, I know. We, we got to like check in with him to make sure he doesn't forget. Yes, <laughs> we do. Yes. Love the euphemism. Definitely, there, there definitely should be a street named Dolores Huerta. There's so many streets, We'll make sure so that there is. Know. Yeah, like think about it. How many streets are named after like powerful women? Not very many. We need more. We so need, like, few streets, schools. We need you know just we need to see their names and remember that you know little girls need to be able to imagine that they can be that that they can be like that that they can be so leaders. True. Yeah. Very true. All right, Very let's go true. ahead and end there. That's a positive note to end on. Alice, once again, thank you so much. This has been an absolute delight. Thank Thanks you so much for having me. All right, guys. Great to talk. Bye. Good we are out of here. Let's play some Castration Bye. Squad. And we'll be back in a couple days with Steve and Dave from Wolves and Argyle. Bye, guys. She's always there. Back, back.